worship at First Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the first chapter. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nation, and Nation, the father of Solomon, and Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed-Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoabam, and Rehoabam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jacodniah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salatel, and Salatel the father of Jerubabel, and Jerubabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azar, and Azar the father of Zadak, and Zadak the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Iliad, and Iliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Medatham, and Medatham the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, o Christ. You may be seated. Well, I wondered if I was going to need to kind of snap my fingers a little bit or maybe wave my arms around to, to break the days or get you back from your musings. I don't blame you if you started to glaze over just a little bit at that long list of ancient names, people we have largely never heard of and never even knew existed until maybe today. Because have you ever read this part of Matthew's gospel? Like really read it for understanding and with reflection? 
Or have you done what I confess I have done before, which is start reading Matthew's gospel at chapter 1, verse 18, skipping over the genealogy as boring or unnecessary or just too hard to pronounce even in my head? I almost think we should be giving Diane a round of applause for reading those out loud for us today. So why? Why did we subject you to a reading of all of this during worship today as we begin the season of Advent? And why is this list even here as Matthew begins his gospel with the story of Jesus? Well, I suspect it's because people in Jesus' day, like people in every age, they want to know where you come from, whom you come from, what is your story? So in Matthew's genealogy, we hit all of the high points of the whole Jewish story, many of the familiar Sunday school tales of the Old Testament. We start with Abraham, who you probably remember, God first made this covenant with Abraham, calling his future descendants um, a nation that is God's chosen people, through whom the whole world would be blessed. And then we make our way down the line to names like Isaac, who was the only child born to very elderly parents and then almost sacrificed uh, on an altar by his own father, down to Jacob, who tricked his older twin brother Esau out of his birthright and blessing, and then after marrying a couple of combative sisters, fathered the 12 tribes of Israel through his 12 sons. The 12 sons included Judah, And it goes on from there. We get down to names like Jesse and David and Solomon. Those may stand out as recognizable people with recognizable stories. I'm sure you remember David, the king, who had a special relationship with God despite his substantial personal flaws. Those are only a handful of characters from that long list of Jesus' ancestors. And perhaps we have kind of a passing familiarity with others like the dynasty of kings from David down to the deportation to Babylon. But look how many more names are not so familiar to us. Each of these generations also lived their own stories of trauma or triumph. Each participated in real-life plot twists all contributed to rituals and traditions and legends of the family passed down from generation to generation. And I get that Jesus' genealogical record might not immediately catch our imagination, but I think we know the importance of having a genealogy. According to my fascinating research on Google this week, I learned that genealogy is a hobby or passion or fascination of a lot of people. Actually, I already knew that. In fact, Ancestry.com now has 18 million DNA samples in their database, helping people unlock the mysteries of their past. That is a lot of people interested in their ancestry. If you're not familiar with Ancestry.com, it's just this online platform uh, where you can go and hunt around and dig through and search through census records and military records, gravesite records and school records, 
all for the sake of discovering your genealogy. You can go on even, I did this earlier this week, you can go on and start filling in your family tree, and then it gives you hints and suggestions for records to look at so that you can keep filling in names of the generations that came before. So people spend hours at a time doing this. They do it for days and weeks and months and years. Then they locate their distant relatives from around the world. They meet up with people they've had never even heard of before in order to lay eyes on a sixth cousin twice removed from their grandmother's paternal side, something like that. All this is to say that we care. We care a lot. We care deeply. Historical places and cultures and people are significant to us still today. It makes a difference to us what stories and traditions have shaped us and our family. The recipes passed down and the customs of dress matter. It matters to us the whens and whys and hows of immigration and marriages and deaths. That is, after all, I think why we have a Norse Coast Fest around here. It's not simply the practical considerations of having a medical history, though that is important. It's that we long to be connected. We long to be grounded in a place, to have a story that is both uniquely ours but shared with others. We yearn for a sense of self-knowledge and self-understanding that comes from knowing our story. And then if we can go back to the old country and hug a human who descended from the same home place three centuries ago, we'll probably do it, if resources allow. And if there's a story of romance or inspiration or tragedy or heroism or royalty from generations past, we will unearth it and we will tell it over and again. These are our stories and they matter. I hardly need to say out loud that there was no such thing as a genetic test kit in Jesus' day. Now I've said it, but the first people to read Matthew's Gospel didn't know about DNA specifically, but they were hardly ignorant of bloodlines. So isn't it interesting that Jesus' genealogy is traced through Joseph's family, when Matthew is going to point out in just a few verses that Mary conceived her baby without any help or involvement from Joseph. But this was a very patriarchal society, obviously, and the men had the status and the standing and often the occupation that was passed down uh, to their sons. Genealogy was almost entirely based and interested in the male line. So that is why we should pay close attention when a woman is mentioned in Jesus' genealogy, because it was surely an intentional decision to include her. So if you don't mind marking up your beautiful artsy bulletin, maybe take a pencil and circle these names. Tamar in verse 3. Rahab and Ruth both in verse 5. The wife of Uriah in verse 6, and Mary in verse 16. These women are also uh, the people who happen to be depicted in the artwork printed in your bulletin, each holding a symbol of her primary story in the history of the people Israel. 
In the bottom left there is Tamar. She's kind of the smallest one, and you may not know her because this was definitely not a Sunday school story. When Tamar was widowed and left without children and without a place in the family, she kind of took matters into her own hands and gave birth to twin boys after tricking her father-in-law by pretending to be a prostitute. In the margin near Tamar's name, you can jot Genesis 38 if you want to learn more about that juicy story. Moving around um, to the right counterclockwise is Rahab, and Rahab really was a prostitute, but she helped sneak a pair of Israelite spies out of her city, Jericho, when they were discovered. And in the process of of doing that, of lowering a rope on the outside of the wall that they could climb down, she procured protection for her family when the Israelites later returned to attack the city. You can find more in Joshua chapter 2. And Ruth, we know better, she gets her own book in the Bible, even as a foreigner, even as a Moabite woman who, by law, was not even allowed in Israel. But Ruth followed her mother-in-law, Naomi, home and secured a future for them both by staking her claim to Boaz on the threshing room floor. And then the wife of Uriah. Her name was Bathsheba. She was a beautiful woman who caught King David's eye. And David was used to getting what he wanted. And so he conspired to have Uriah killed so that he could have Bathsheba for himself. She survived her trauma to become the queen mother of King Solomon. You can learn more in 2 Samuel, starting at chapter 11. Finally, Mary, the most well-known woman in all the Christian tradition, an unwed, very young woman, boldly faithful to her role in God's story. Even after those five people, those five stories, don't you begin to get a sense for how incredibly unlikely it was that it was through these stories that God was shaping the overarching story, working to bring forth the Messiah. Even more unexpected, perhaps, that Matthew chose to include and even feature their stories in the lineage of Christ. In the mix of kings and patriarchs are the very human and very surprising and ordinary people that God chose to continue the line from which was born the Savior of the whole world. The sub-theme today that there's room for every story means that there isn't actually a particular kind of person or life or story that God chooses to work in and through. There isn't a template or a trope for the story of an ancestor to Christ. Rather, we find that God is at work no matter the story. There's room for every story means that your story belongs here as part of our story and part of God's story. This is a part of the beauty of the various threads that are woven together across generations into a unique tapestry that is our story of faith. Through this list, Matthew is making important theological claims about who Jesus is, based on his family line and the fulfillment of an age-old covenant and prophecy, a child of royal lineage, the Messiah. 
But if we do take these moments to look closer, we receive the fuller scope of the Christmas story. Because Jesus is now uh, grounded also not only in just a human body, but also in a human family, in the human family. All the names in this genealogy, the ones we recognize and the ones we don't, they have their own life stories that have shaped the trajectory of salvation history. And they're important because their stories are our stories. They are our spiritual heritage, our history and tradition of faith. We as Christians have been grafted by God into this family tree that includes now not just the chosen people, but all of God's children. We are grounded in belonging. We are tied to our roots. This, through faith, is our legacy. And so then we continue, as every generation has before, living out our stories, contributing to the whole, practicing the traditions and the rituals, adding context for this time and place, serving as God's faithful witnesses, participating in God's continual activity through us for the sake of the world. As one generation of many, many, we embrace our story and we wonder, what will we carry on? What will we leave behind? What can we learn? And the eternal truth of our story is that God has acted. God is here. God is for us through Jesus Christ, that child born of Mary and of Bathsheba, Ruth, Rahab, Tamar, and all the rest. The Holy Family portrayed on our Christmas cards is not really a trio in isolation. We are each part of God's holy family on earth. We all have a story and a voice and a role to play. May we proclaim these truths until the day our salvation is fulfilled and peace reigns on earth and love is all there is. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.